Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And I'd like to thank all our generous sponsors who make this possible as well, particularly the ROA, the Racehorse Owners Association, who have their horse racing awards once again for the 41st time on the evening of Thursday, the 7th of December. I've got an offer for all the listeners who want to be there and rub shoulders with the stars of the sport. You can be there at this black tie event, which takes place at the Royal Lancaster Hotel in London and includes a drinks reception and a three-course dinner with wine before the awards ceremony itself. It's a great night, great fun, and you see everybody let their hair down and really embrace the spirit of the sport. There are 14 Flat and National Hunt Awards up for grabs, plus the highly coveted Horse of the Year, and owner of the year, if you would like to join some of the biggest names in racing at a specially discounted rate, you can do so by going to roa.co.uk forward slash NLD and entering the code NLD to buy your individual tickets for £235 or a table for 10 at 2250 The offer closes at noon this Saturday. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, November the 16th, still with you in Bahrain on the eve of the International Trophy. And as I look forward to that here, my guest today, the Racing Post's Jonathan Harding, is very much looking forward to Cheltenham and the Paddy Power meeting, which begins tomorrow and runs through until Sunday. And fear not, I will be back on home soil and at Cheltenham on Sunday, which is probably going to be rather soggy as the latest storm sweeps across the UK. Uh, Jonathan, um, what's it looking like for the weekend? Are we going to get drenched? Well, it looks as though, having spoken to Clark of the Course, John Pullen, that Cheltenham's going to miss the worst of what Storm Debbie has to offer, the least threatening name for a storm in a while. Um, but it looks as though it's going to be testing conditions. It's certainly going to be soft ground, you'd expect, which is perhaps why we're seeing so many of these big horses being being uh, tested there at the weekend. There was a Sunday of this meeting, I think about 12 or 15 years ago, when the weather was the worst I've ever known on any race course. I think I think I was working for Channel 4 in the betting ring, but we got we got brought onto the steps underneath the awning of the grandstand, uh, Tanya and I. So we we stayed mercifully dry where poor Alice Plunkett was being flogged mercilessly to every outpost on the on the race course. I think I had to change every item of clothing in her car on the way home. It was that bad. But she's incredibly game. Uh, so I'm hoping we're not in for that. And it's not a case of Debbie does Cheltenham. No, hopefully not. And I certainly can sympathise with Alice Funkett being part of the written press that go out and cower around uh, the trainer and owner after they've won in the persisting rain. Um, yeah, hopefully not. All right. Well, the big clash, of course, and that's featured on the front page of today's trade paper, The Racing Post, is that between Edward Stone, the Arkle winner of two years ago, the brilliant Tingle Creek winner from last year, and John Bond, one of the most exciting horses in training, about whom you heard more from trainer Nicky Henderson on this podcast a couple of days ago. And it might well be that both horses have targets over a little further later in the season, but I spoke to Alan King this morning and asked him about his stable star and Sunday's clash. Well, he's working as well as ever. I mean, I hope I hope he runs extremely well on Sunday and we can stick to the two miles. But um yeah, there is a lot of stamina in the pedigree. He's, gonna, he's another year older. So, look, it, it, we'll see. I mean, if 
if, if he runs very well Sunday, I, I would think the chances are we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the Tingle Creek. And if he does, if he tells us that he needs to go further, we'll look at the Peterborough, you know. But um, look, I, I'm not going to predict what we're going to be doing after Saturday, no. after Sunday. I think we'll leave it up to the horse, you know. Yeah, but more to the point at the moment, he's in, he's in really good nick. And we go back to Tingle Creek last year, he bolted up. He ran an amazing race behind Editor De Gitte in that in that race at the at the end of January at, at Cheltenham last year. Did, do you do you have any reason why he didn't fire in the in the Queen Mother? Has anything come to light at all? Not a thing. I mean, we we he was blood tested, scoped straight afterwards. He was sent down to Ben Brain to check the winds. Everything came back clear. I mean, the only thing was it was very tacky ground that day, and whether he just didn't operate. But it's the first time I've I've, I've known him that he he didn't travel in a race. And it's just one of those things. I mean, he he's been such a consistent horse through his whole life. He's hardly ever run badly. Exactly. And we give him. A, we just we roughed him off straight after Cheltenham. Once we'd done all the checks, he's a proper good holiday back with the owners, and he looks terrific. His work's been good. So let's hope it was just a, a one-off. But as I say, Sunday will be a. It'll decide what we're doing for the rest of the season. Hopefully, it surely will. And I know I'm not certainly not going to try and press you, but the entry is there even for the even for the King George. I guess that, that the point is if. If you're not in, you know, you don't have the option. Exactly. Look, if, he, if, he, if we thought we were going to step him up and trip, we went to the Peterborough one well there, we'd, be, we'd probably be kicking ourselves if we weren't on the King George. But it's, look, it's, it's an option. It's no more than that at the moment. Uh, listen, we're really looking forward to seeing him. He's clearly got a, a formidable rival, but even Nicky Henderson's talking about stepping John Bon up in trip later in the season. So who's to say you're not the quicker of the two horses anyway? Oh, well, somebody will tell. Surely will. Alan, thanks so much. Cheers, Nick. Alan King there talking about Edward Stone. Let's hope the weather doesn't scupper that clash between him and John Bond. We could have Newby Negra chucked in there as well. It might not just be a, a two-horse race. Jonathan, I think there'll be a lot of people just thinking, well, the coming force is going to be unstoppable. That two-mile novice form last year with El Fabiolo is is going to be the best around this season. Is it as straightforward as that, do you think? Or will Alan King's wish that Edward Stone remains at the top of the two-mile division be granted? I certainly don't think it's going to be as straightforward as the market suggests. I think the idea of John Bond going off odds on against the horse of Edward Stone's calibre is a, a little strange to me. Of course, Edward Stone has a point to prove. He had a sort of, he was so brilliant in the Tingle Creek and then things slightly didn't go to plan after then. I mean, he certainly wasn't disgraced in the Clarence House being narrowly beaten by Editor De Gilles, although you'd expect him to sort of beat Editor De Gilles and a different day champion chase was a little bit of a non-event for him and they they haven't necessarily got to the the bottom of that it might have just been one of those days again if edward stone if the edward stone that won the tingle creek turns up uh to face john bond this weekend then it's going to be hugely exciting and it will be a massive test for john bond who obviously stepped into open company when winning the celebration chase very well but this is a different caliber altogether so very exciting. I think I can see Edward Stone stepping up in trip, though. I do think that's a, a very interesting avenue for him, but we'll certainly learn more. And as you suggested there, I mean, Nuba Negra, another one who didn't run his race in the champion chase. But if you get him back and he's fresh, he certainly goes there with a bit of a chance of, of winning his third. So a brilliant race to have so early in the season. I mean, the fact that Alan King and Nicky Henderson have both talked about these horses potentially stepping up in trip... It makes me, you know, reinforce the point that these horses are way more versatile than we give them credit for, aren't they? I mean, they're both horses who could could conceivably be said to be bred to run in staying chases, yet they've got bags of speed and class and they jump efficiently. I sort of feel like there are way more options open to horses of this calibre 
Yeah, they're just very, very good horses. And the cupboard is not that full of horses of 165 plus ability, is it? No, I think you're right. And I, I enjoy that sort of intermediate division, that two and a half mile, because it requires a little bit of everything. You have to have that stamina and you have to also have a turn of foot. But when you look at some of the best three mile chasers, they've also got that bit of class as well. They can quicken, they can go through the gears and, and actually drop back through the gears when required as well. Those real classy chasers and Edwardson and John Bond certainly fit the bill there. I think ground would certainly be a factor in stepping up in trip. I don't know if necessarily they'd want it completely attritional ground over two and a half or even further, but when they can use their turn of foot as well, I think they'd be quite effective and over that intermediate trip. All right. Well, looking ahead to the Paddy Power Gold Cup, Cheltenham Saturday, one horse who could find his way around Cheltenham blindfold is Fugitive. He's run so many times there and run so many wonderful races there, particularly in the last year and particularly when second at the festival. For that, he has a share of weight, but clearly he's a horse we need to take seriously. Trainer Richard Hobson's with me now. Um, Richard, I'm sorry to disturb you this morning. I gather you're you're in Dover as I, as I catch you at, at 7 o'clock UK time. I am, yes. I'm trying to get a horse over to um, who runs down at Fontainebleau on Monday. So he's going over to Chantilly for a few days and um, I'm stuck at Dover trying to get the post-Brexit paperwork sorted out. How much of a pain is that since Brexit? Because you take horses to France a lot to race. Well, this morning, pretty much so, because I hit the changeover from the night shift to the day shift, so I've been waiting here about 40 minutes to get the carnet stamped. Well, that's a bit of a bit of a pain, to say the very least, but it'll be worth it if you win at Fontainebleau. Are you going to? Um, I, I won't be there at Fontainebleau Monday. We've got runners at Leicester, but um, yeah, I, I'll be dropping the horse off and coming back. And, and it, it, Tell me a little bit about your, your runner there. Um, little horse which is running um, its first handicap, finished fourth at Stratford a couple of weeks ago. Um, the conditions of the race at Fontainebleau is just right up the street, really. Um, it's uh, conditions for horses which haven't won 10,000 years from the beginning of the year over over jumps. So pretty much fits into that category and it's 22,000 euros to the um, prize fund. Um, so it's probably worth the wait to get the carnet stamp by the sounds of it. Let's talk about Fugitive, who's um, going to run in the in the Paddy Power Gold Cup at the, at the weekend. Have you got him where you want him for this stage of the season? Definitely, yeah. If you'd asked me that question a few weeks ago, I said no, but he seems to have come just right in you know, the last couple of weeks. He's done some really nice pieces of work and um, he looks fit, he looks strong, he looks hard. Um, hopefully, the £22 he's gone up from last season, he keeps improving and... Um, yeah, we'll see him in the shake-up at the end on Saturday. And there is something about this race course that seems to bring him alive. You know, he'd never run really at Cheltenham till last season, and then suddenly bang, 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 and he's run three belting races there, particularly at the at the festival. What do you think about it? It is about the place that seems to suit him so well. I'm not sure. Sure, I mean, he liked um, Chepstow when he won um, at Chepstow as well. He just likes. He probably is better left-handed, to be fair. Um, he's drifted once or twice in a couple of his runs, but I think that was more greenness than anything. Um, we're going to put, put the cheek piece on him on Saturday, so he doesn't chuck the race away like he has done um, once last year. And um, hopefully, with the improvement he's had over the summer, he se- seems to be a stronger horse. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll run a massive race. So, do you think he he was throwing races away then, or do you think he was just finding one too good or well handicapped? Yeah, he, he's just been. He's nearly 18 hands, Nick, so 
yeah, he's been a late developer and um, he's taken time for the penny to drop, really. I think he's a mature horse now coming into the season. Now, that's interesting. This might make people think differently because your kind of first reaction when you look at him, you think, well, yeah, we know where we are. He's rated 153. That's what he is. He's not going to get any better. But talking to you, it kind of make, makes me think, well, actually, we might be scratching the surface. I'd say this will be his year, yeah. I'd hope so because... Um, he just wasn't furnished last year or the season before. He's just taken that time because of the sheer size of him. And I'm hoping that um, we'll see the best of him this year, yeah. Well, I wish you all the very best, Richard. I'm sorry to disturb you at an inopportune moment, but grateful for your time as always. Good luck. No worries. Cheers, Nick. Thank you. That was Richard Hobson. Good luck to him as he crosses the channel to head to Fontainebleau. Good luck to, to him with Fugitive as well. Who are you going for, Jonathan Harding, in the in the Paddy Power? I'm going to side with my old mate, the real Wacker, um, one of the most likable horses in training. I, I realise he's got to give a, a hell of a lot of weight away to some very good horses, not least stage star, but just with the way he runs, he's so dominant in his style, um, a seriously talented horse. And I think he could just I think he could just grind it out this weekend, but he's got bigger targets, of course, ahead. Um, but just a note to say what a brilliant race this is in terms of depth with two festival winners in there and some very talented horses besides okay news on seriously injured rider graham lee now from the injured jockeys fund yesterday jockey graham lee had surgery yesterday at the royal victoria infirmary hospital in newcastle to stabilize the fractures in his cervical spine and further protect his spinal cord he also had a tracheostomy performed to allow him to be more comfortable and improve communication whilst graham has recovered from the surgery well the extent of his long-term recovery remains uncertain Graham's family would like to thank everyone for their best wishes and for their support of the Just Giving page set up by Graham's 18-year-old daughter, Amy, who says, I'm personally writing down each and every message and donation that comes through and I shall share all of these with Dad. To be honest, it's simply overwhelming and we can't believe that so many people are thinking of us. I wish I could explain how much of a difference it will make to Dad's recovery knowing that he has your support. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So that is the news as things stand about Graham Lee. And it's news that has had a, a very profound impact on so many people in the in the horse racing world. And I feel it, it's only really appropriate to talk to someone who knows Graham much better than I do and is, is close to a lot of the people who have been affected most deeply. And that's Niall Hannity, who's my racing TV colleague, also shared the weighing room with Graham for a number of years and worked with him in his capacity as assistant trainer to Ferdy Murphy when Graham was riding many many winners for him. Uh, uh, Niall, I, I saw a piece that you did for Sporting Life when you were talking about Amy Lee's fundraising for Graham and it, it moved me very deeply. This is this has touched an awful lot of people. Yeah, it has. And I suppose the one thing horse racing does, you know, it's in, in crisis, it, we, we all moan and we moan about everything, but it's, it's very good at coming together and it's just over 100,000 now. So, yeah, well done, Amy, for, for setting it up. And I, I believe um, that money's rings for Graham you know it's that it, all go to Graham and we've already got a couple of fundraising things that we're planning into the new year so um yeah that, that's the one thing horse racing does fantastic and you're you know quite close at hand as regards knowing not just the the medical care that he's getting but also the the support network that is that is around him at the moment maybe tell me a little bit more about that yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been speaking to Lisa Hancock from uh, Injured Jockeys Fund, and, and so I suppose we're all. Graham actually lives only a couple of miles from me, um, so we're taking in turns. Rich McGrath is is doing today driving back in, the, and Amy and Robbie up to the hospital and take him home 
I'm down to do tomorrow and um, hopefully in a few a few days by the signs of things they want to get him moved to uh, James Cook and Middlesbrough which will be easier for his wife and kids as well and, uh, J- and am I right in thinking that James Cook the, the hospital in Middlesbrough has a, a noted reputation for, for dealing yeah. with serious spinal injuries it's got a lot of it's a fantastic hospital apparently what you hear um, and yeah apparently it has got a, a, one of the, the best in the country so that could only be a positive thing that they're they're wanting to get him there sooner rather than later and the one thing that that has struck me a little bit over the last couple of days is just how long graham's been been doing this job and as such how many different generations of jockeys are are touched by this and are are rallying around him accordingly right from his early 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 flat days and then jumping days and and now onto the flat again yeah yeah when i'd done that piece i didn't realize that i remember writing this stuff on claimer on a mare called blushing pearl for des mcdonough so i was 11 at the time so that wasn't yesterday um and yeah he had to work hard as well Graham, he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't very good when he when he started, but he was just more dedicated than anyone to, to get good. When foot and mouth came, he had to, he moved down to live with AP because to, to pay the bills, and it was around that time he sort of sort of clicked with him and and got very good news. He said, you know, a thousand winners against the likes of AP, and if you think of all them other jockeys he was riding against, to do it on the flat as well, it's not really. I can't mention another CV quite like it, you know. And you only have to look at the list of people who have who have, have contributed to to Amy's um, injured jockeys fund, uh, just giving page. And did I did I read right that that she is reading out each and every one of those to him yeah. in in the hospital? Yeah. yeah, absolutely, she is. She is, and um, it's keeping her really focused. She's a she's a star. She you know she really genuinely is, and um, if it's given her focus, and it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, as you say, when when the the worst happens, um, this community rallies like no other. Niall, I'm, I'm sure I speak for everyone in, in in thanking you and for everyone close to Graham for for everything everything you're doing and for keeping us updated. And um, we of course send him and family every possible good wish. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks, Nick. My thanks to to Niall Hannity there, um, and he promised that he would he would keep us. Keep us updated as well as as the weeks go on. It's unimaginably uh, awful what's happened to to Graham Lee, Jonathan Harding. What we've seen from the racing community is something we have seen before, which is um, full blooded support for somebody in in the the worst possible position. No, and it's important to note that because we we of course spend a lot of time reporting on infighting between various factions and disagreements and this that and the other but when push does come to shove racing unites behind its own in a way i've certainly not necessarily seen in other sports i think it should be praised for that i think this fundraising effort from graham's daughter is incredible we're up to a hundred thousand pounds already this morning and the ijf straight on the front foot to say it will be offering whatever support it can for graham and his family it's just a desperately sad situation, but uh, I've been very heartened, I think, if that's the right word, by racing's response to it. I'm just hoping, like everybody is, that we get some slightly better news in the coming days. Um, and, yeah, just sending very best to Graham and his family. OK, Jonathan, quite interesting juxtaposition in your paper this morning between two stories, both of which concern 
uh, the Racehorse Owners Association, who are supporters of this podcast, of course. Uh, just tell me uh, a little more. Yes, yeah, so it uh, yesterday was the organisations, the ROA's annual meeting at Kempton, and Charlie Parker, the organisation's president, uh, was speaking in his uh, speaking at that annual meeting. Uh, he spoke about affordability checks. He challenged a recent suggestion by Andrew Rose of the Gambling Commission that racing was slightly trying to have it all its own way with these affordability checks and having basically unchecked gambling losses, which is simply not true. And Parker states that it's not that's certainly not the case. They're looking for a, a sensible solution to tackle problem gambling, not one as sort of blanket as affordability checks. So that was very interesting. He touched on the levy suggesting that agreement there on levy reform was slightly slow, but was hoping to reach a deal and get the government to rubber stamp that, a long-running saga. So all the big hits were covered. And then we had a situation whereby Parker was actually challenged by Sam Hoskins, who's been a critic of the leadership since he resigned in April 2022 from the ROA board, claimed it was being run like a dictatorship, which is fairly punchy. And similarly punchy was his question from the floor yesterday, where he basically said that media rights are rumoured to be in the region of 30,000, yet owners are running horses and races worth six grand. Where's the push for transparency? Where's the voice for owners? And he asked Charlie Parker whether he was on the side of racecourses or on the side of horsemen. Now, of course, Parker has uh, refuted that claim and said that he's been fighting for the owner's position and is very comfortable, but an interesting or very comfortable with his position, sorry, and what he's doing to push for change and strategic change, um, certainly in terms of the sports governance. So a little bit of a, a tip for tap there and um, it's an in, interesting it's, one. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Because it's a question of whether you want to want this issue to be seen in terms of the race courses versus the the thoroughbred group or what used to be called what used to be called the horseman's group and and i think what stakeholders if i can use a word that not many people like but if you if you if you imagine that the stakeholders believe that to push the sport forward in this new spirit of cooperation with the way that the the, the bha is now structured requires you know greater cooperation then you know that is at odds with a um, a situation where you are permanently locked in in struggle, and sometimes struggle can be productive. You know, if you are if you are of the philosophy that the end justifies the means, then you will be then you will be on uh, on Sam Hoskins's page that you've got to fight, 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 fight all the time because you know fundamentally the um, the professionals in the sport, the owners, the trainers, the jockeys, the stable staff are getting a rough deal in terms of their slice of the sports pie, or or you believe that. You, 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 some sense of or some perceived sense of harmony is going to send the sport into a into a into a better into a better direction um and and it, it seems to me that those are the two those are the two competing philosophies here I mean, it's not as though it's not as though charlie parker has a an agenda to promote race courses particularly i don't i don't think unless i'm aware unaware of something but i could be i could be corrected but they're you know they're they're, they're two strong characters they're two people who who, who love their horse racing and um, I don't suppose that the the mutual antipathy is going to end uh, anytime soon. No, and I think you're right. And the truth is usually somewhere in the middle and there is a time to push and there is a time also to seek conciliation and to work together. And I suppose that is the absolute crux of this, is that 
I think Sam Hoskins, without putting words into his mouth, is suggesting the situation is such that the ROA should be massively on the front foot and fighting this in a, in a pretty black and white way. Whereas Parker, who is privy to the conversations behind closed doors, who who is involved in this governance structure and the push for the new governance structure, perhaps knows that the best way to keep the wheels turning is sometimes not to push too hard and bring them to a grinding halt. So I think probably somewhere in the middle of those two approaches would be uh, the sweet spot. And it's just worth noting, finally, that Charlie Parker, whilst he is still the chair of the Racehorse Owners Association, has been succeeded as chair of the Thoroughbred Group by Julian Richmond-Watson, who recently stepped down as chair of the TBA. And actually, if you remember on this podcast, Julian Watson was sort of saying, well, watch this space, and that space has been filled. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how a figure of such significant political heft in racing terms um, takes the reins there uh, and what impact he has. Well, here in Bahrain, uh, watching track work this Thursday morning, and I'm joined by Ed Veal, who's the Director of Racing and International Relations here. Um, Ed, there's no doubt that this has developed quite significantly. I was looking at the race yesterday, and I was thinking, well, it looks a bit like a, it looks a bit like a sort of American turf grade one to me, sort of like a, almost like a European group one and a half. It's moving quite far up. Yeah, one and a half. We'll, t- we'll take that for now. Yeah, we'll, we'll I mean, because get... it's officially international group two. It is. It is a group two, uh, group three last year. So we're we're working towards hopefully making it a group one. And as as you said, it, it does look like that on paper. We're obviously only a day away from the race now, so it's. it's... I mean, like if you had like if you looked at this, if, if it was like the Arlington Million challengers from from Europe, you'd think, yeah, that's those sort of horses, aren't they? Yeah, no, you'd be very happy. You'd you'd look at it and think, what a race! And the fact that it's 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 a full field as well. Uh, to have 14 international high-class horses is, is, is extremely exciting for us. It's, it's great for the country. Um, and they all came. And, I mean, that's, that's what's amazing. We were here kind of three weeks ago looking at this lineup, thinking, well, let's just hope they all, they all tick over and they all get here and, you know, touch wood with just one day to go, that, that that's, how it, that's how it will line up. Just uh, having a look here at Point Lonsdale trotting past as representative from uh, Bally Doyle, ran in the... Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes, ran in the Champion Stakes at Ascot, of course. And Ryan Moore's coming to ride him. And, and as well as the horses all being here, the people are all here as well. They are. I mean, Ryan's coming over from Japan, which is, which is huge for us, uh, you know, to have the world's, the world's best jockey here and ride in our biggest race is... is um, it, it's, it is very important. It's very important to get these big names. And it, it's not just Ryan. As, as you mentioned, we've got, you know, the arc-winning jockey, Christian Jumiro, uh, Breeders' Cup heroes from a few weeks ago William Buick is over here so it's you know they they have their the stars have have all made the trip over and, and, it, and it's great to see and it's been competitive to get into the race this year I mean just give me a bit of context where we were year one 2019 to where we are now well the highest rated horse in year in year one was 112 uh, and we're not going below 111 this year so it, it, it is it has moved moved up very quickly in a short space of time you know five years to to get to a 121 which is the highest rated horse in this year's race nation's pride he's a uh, officially in the longines world rankings a, he's a top 20 horse mm. um you know there's there's not many of them and to, to have one of them here is is um is a big coup for us and just had a look at above the curve cantering round group one winner by american ferro there's lafayette 
uh, for Noel Mead, winner of the Royal Whip, one of the three automatic qualifiers for this race. You, know, you go around the world and look at the way horses have to train in the morning when they go to international races. And here you've got your, your inside track, which is all a beautiful artificial surface, a synthetic surface. Uh, uh, this, I'm guessing, is massively important in, in persuading people to to stable a horse here for a week it is well the the, the training track has actually had a, a recent renovation mm. last last year we, it looks a, we it looks a load better yeah it is fantastic and i think it's taken a year to, to bed in properly the jockeys who ride here every day have, have noticed a massive improvement uh, at the beginning of this season but you you need to have the top top facilities if you're if you're inviting proper group one horses um you you need top class facilities and we're very proud of of the quarantine barns in, in particular here a lot of the the lads have kindly said that the you know they're, they're one of the best in the world which is is very nice to hear um and it is it is hugely important to making sure these people come back you, you can put on a million dollars but if if the if the facilities aren't up to scratch trainers trainers won't send these horses back always good to see trainer noel mead particularly in uh, the kingdom of bahrain looking resplendent in oh, it's an orange polo shirt and a pair of very smart navy shorts <laughs> yeah Home away from yeah. home, isn't it? Oh, yes, or even Rotherine. <laughs> it's actually, it's, it's lovely this morning. There is just a little bit of s- soft drizzle, um, but it's, it's very warm. How's uh, Lafayette? Yeah, very good. We're very happy with him. Uh, he's uh, settled in really well and having a, having a, a ball, really. Um, Lafayette's biggest problem at the moment now is the competition. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's a very strong race. And uh, I suppose that's really the problem. But I, I think he's in good shape and hopefully he'll put up a good show. I mean, when when you won the the automatic qualifier, did you think, yeah, he could he could hold his own in a in a race like that? Yeah, well, look, Laffy has always been able to hold his own. He's he's, he's always run well, you know. He's a, he's a horse that, that usually doesn't let you down. Um, I I didn't think it was going to be as strong. Like it, it basically it's taken a few people by surprise. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be as strong as it is. You know, like I mean, it's, it's it looks like a, a group one you know a group one masquerading as a group two or the other way around whatever way you wish to say but but uh, it is a strong race mm-hmm. um for you uh, moving forward through the next year or so how how are you expecting to divide your your numbers flat and jumps uh, many old school jumpers still in the yard or not no we're way way down now we haven't been buying any uh, stores the last couple of years the only we have one uh, very nice client who who was keeping jumpers with us and we've bought a few point-to-pointers for him and we have a couple of nice horses for him and other than that we have been concentrating more or less on buying yearlings and buying flat horses so over the next uh, year going into this winter now we're probably looking at 15 or 20 jumpers and and uh, I'd say next year the flat string will probably be around 60 or 70. Mm. And does that does that just make more sense commercially now? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and like we've been trading quite a lot of horses in the last the two year olds. Mm. Uh, we've sold quite a few, some to some mostly to America, but we've sold uh, a few to here out to Quata, uh, and uh, we've even sold um, horse over to uh, Singapore and a couple to Hong Kong. Mm. So that trading aspect of it that helps to just kind of underpin the business. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's 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 a big part of that. It's a big part of the business now. Mm. Big part of the business now. Uh, I've got involved in it myself and uh, with a couple of friends, and I've been involved with with uh, in the ownership of some of the a good few of the horses now, and those ones are bought to sell. And of course, those with longer memories will realise that you're really just going back to to where you started. That's right. Originally, I was more or less flat, uh, and sort of decided uh, 
I don't know uh, one time that it was we'd have a go well I always train jumpers but, mm. but uh, I decided to sort of swap over to jumping and uh, at that time you were able to buy them uh, you know you could actually buy them and but now it's gone to totally yeah, that was 30 grand was enough to spend on a horse in those yeah, days that's right that's right and like you could go to the horse and train sale and, and for 50 or 60 thousand you come back 80,000 you probably bring the best best one back mm. but now like that day is gone and with the Australians bringing the money in to buy those staying horses it's just been very difficult to buy the, buy the one you want for National Hunt Are you still getting as much of a kick out of the game as you always did? Yeah I think you know it's just it's a kind of a drug really you can't you can't stop it's just it's just brings you along and even though sometimes you sort of get up and say oh geez I could do without this but then you know, a couple of days later and something works well or wins well or does something and you're you're away again sort of dreaming about it. So we were talking last night and I was trying to persuade you and your wife Derval to bring the dancing videos back which you did in, <laughs> in homage to Nina Carberry when she was in Dancing with the Stars in Ireland <laughs> you were a TikTok sensation oh yeah I don't know about that the one thing I can't do is dance anyway like Derval is very, was, is a, has a degree in, in music but it was a bit of fun at the time to she, seems up, she seems up for doing it again <laughs> as she would as she would but it was a, it was a it was a bit of fun it, it we were trying to generate votes for Nina and mm. it worked very well because she did win it eventually and uh, we had a lot of fun doing it yeah alright so my suggestion yesterday was if you win a group race on the flat or a graded race over jumps it should prompt um, a revival of the Mead TikTok sensation so are you agreeable to this Oh, sure, listen, we might give it a... If we win a group race on the flat, we might give it a crack. Devil, he's agreed to it. <laughs> the TikTok's coming back. <laughs> Good to see you, Noel. OK, thanks, Nick. Good to see you. <laughs> well, as we mentioned so often before on this podcast, you get to this time of the year and you start to ease into boutique sales season as far as the national hunt horses are concerned uh, matt Pryor is the head of sales at tattersalls uh, and matt this is quite an important staging post this weekend at cheltenham just give us a rundown of what we can expect if they've not been to one of these sales because this was one of the this was one of the forerunners really yes thanks nick um yeah this this week sort of marks the start of our Tattersall's point-to-points autumn sales season. So we kick off with the November meeting and we offer, I think this week we've got 47 lots catalogued, predominantly sort of, um, these are sort of point-to-point winners, but we've got a few under rules winners as well. And we offer them after racing on the Friday. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's certainly sort of the, the curtain raiser in terms of the point-to-point season. And I think everyone's sort of looking forward to it. And just in terms of atmosphere at a sale like this compared to what might be considered a, a traditional sale, it's something a little bit different, isn't it, if you haven't been to one? Would you sort of urge people to come along as a, a, a spectators? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's certainly something unique within the Tadassels group, these sales, and the fact that we actually bring the market to the race course. We, sit, we bring it not only to the, the trainers and the end users that are buying the horses, but actually the uh, the racing enthusiasts can come along and see the sale after racing. It's open to the public and it, and it gives them, you know, a taste of the, the other side of the business that they don't always necessarily see. Now you've extended from Cheltenham away from Cheltenham to, to Sandown on, on Tingle Creek day. Just tell me about your association with the jockey club and how that's building. 
Yeah, so I, I think stepping back, I suppose, you know, Tabasols and, and and the Jockey Club Association goes back many years, and I suppose that's um, through being a long-standing sponsor via its association in Newmarket, and then more recently, since 2015, we've we've collaborated with these sales at Cheltenham Racecourses. Uh, so this is probably the next evolution and step in that partnership and yeah we we were invited to 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 tender for the for the sale this summer and happily were appointed to to partner and to um to hold a sale following racing on the saturday of the tinkle creek meeting and in terms of recent graduates from from sales like this that you're particularly looking forward to seeing on the race course who who would be who would be top of the pile um well, thankfully, the uh, the graduates from the, the the Cheltenham sales so far have already sort of hit the ground running, so to speak. And we've had, um, I suppose, on Charlie Hall Chase Day, we had Gentleman's Game battle it out with Brave Man's Game, both graduates of the the Tadassel sales, and uh, uh, extraordinarily, both graduates of uh, Donnacadour's Monbeg stables. So those two names um, come to mind. But then, equally, following that, we've had. Jerry Colomb and Envoy Allen, both graduates of Tadassels and Colin Bowes Milestone Stables, who 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 battled it out in a thriller at Dan Royal only last weekend as well. So they're the big names, and 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 I think certainly horses that you know realised significant sums in the sale ring, but thankfully and importantly are, are going on to the biggest stage to uh, to demonstrate their class as well. So. That, they're, they're the names that sort of come to mind at the moment anyway and how about the buzz for this weekend which which horses are we likely to see uh, attract most interest do you think so we've got I think 47 lots 12 winning four year old point to pointers from Ireland um, and we've got the leading sort of handlers again represented by the likes of Dennis Murphy Colin Bow, Pat Doyle Monbeg Stables but I think um, yeah I think certainly a name that comes to mind more recently whose name is been in lights is um, Warren Ewing's Bernice Stables. He's actually bringing two very light and well-fancied horses to the sales this week, and I think they'll they'll be certain to catch the attention. Of course, Warren, part of the Constitution Hill story as well. Matt, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you very much, Nick. All the best. Bye. Okay, thanks to all my guests today. Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post is still with me, and Jonathan has a tip for you for today. Certainly do. I'm going for number eight, Jaminska, in the 405 at Taunton on her first start in a handicap. She's been off a track for a while, which does slightly concern me, but was a bit of an eye-catcher when winning at Hereford in January and ought to go close for Jane Williams. All right, Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, the 16th of November. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.